And then the unexpected trials in your life, the unexpected news that you are navigating from just this week or just this year. Difficult and life-threatening diagnoses, there are so many ways that trials come our way. Job is described as blameless, as upright, as fearing God and turning away from evil. He had 10 children, 11,000 livestock, many servants. He was called the greatest of all the people of the East. And check this out. His kids got along. He had 10 If you have two, they struggle, don't they? He had ten. Scripture says he continually offered sacrifices to God on behalf of his children. One day God holds a staff meeting. It is in verses 6 through 8. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. That phrase, sons of God, is often a euphemism for angels, So we might imagine that these are archangels. These are perhaps Gabriel, Michael, and Satan also came among them. Why? Well, he used to attend that staff meeting. He was one of them. Satan, the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, and if you're a thinking person, this line will wreck you. Have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? You you can't breeze past this. You can't check your brain at the door and say, I won't deal with that. If you take your Bible seriously, if you take God seriously, the question, the looming question in your mind is this, God, why did you recommend Job to Satan? God, why did you put Job out there like you did? So I cannot pretend. And as we prayed in my office early this morning, the staff, I shared with them my greatest fear of this sermon was to underrepresent God. That somehow in the preaching of this, I present him as less than he is, I am so unfit, unworthy, unable in my own ability, in my own way to, to preach such a lofty sermon of who God is and how in some ways he may act. But he presented him to Satan. So say, what does it mean? I, I've never played a sport in my life. I, I just never grew up doing that. But most of you have, most likely. And if you're a true competitor, when the game is on the line, you're you're down by a point, 
You want to be the guy who's given the ball or the gal who's given the ball who's fouled, and you shoot those free throws in enemy hostile gym while everyone's yelling at you. You want to be the one to make the basket, to score, and to win. You want your coach to look at you if you're a true competitor and say, put me in the game. Then, we call that being clutch, don't we? That's Job. God says, Job, you're clutch. You say, what do you mean? I think we spend much of our time thinking about what we think of God, and that's called theology, and that's good, but we think little of our time, spend little of our time thinking about what God thinks of us. And here we see that God thinks some of his people to be clutch, and he thinks some of them to be up to the game is on the line, and I'm going to offer that person up for the trial of his life or the trial of her life. Why? There is none like him on the earth, God says of Job, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Time out, Satan. I'm I'm calling the winning play here, and I'm going to put Job in. He will go to the line, and Job says, Ah, you take everything away from him. He'll curse you to your face. And God says, Ah, that's my man right there. I'm putting him in. That's what God does. Peter who would eventually know extreme suffering, said this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. God presented Job to Satan. Satan recognized the hedge around Job. God did set the boundaries. Satan, this whole story, this whole account placed by God's rules. And then he attacks Job Here is the phrase, now there was a day. That's how these things happen every time. My phone rings. Jerry, we just got back from the doctor. And the news is grim. Now there was a day. The 2 a.m. call and your kid away at college has been in a terrible accident. Now there was a day. What happened? A servant came and said, the Sabaeans fell on the oxen. They're dead. While that servant is still talking to Job, someone else comes and says, fire consumed your sheep, Job. While that servant is still talking, a third servant said, the Chaldeans came and killed the servants and stole the camels. While that servant was still talking to Job, a fourth servant came and said, a great wind destroyed your oldest son's house where all your kids were gathered. And they're all dead. All of them. Job responds, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, signs of grief, 
He fell on the ground, Scripture says, and worshipped. Clutch. He fell on the ground and worshipped. And this is what he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How many times have you quoted those words? How many times have those words just rang out through the centuries, through your, through your ears? In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Wow. Clutch. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong, but yet at the end of Job, God calls Job out. Why? Here's what's interesting. You cannot miss this. Job, when all of that happened to him, did not blame God. It was only after 18 conversations with three would-be friends that his thinking became skewed. Please hear me. Please hear me. There are sources of wisdom in the world today that try to speak into your pain. If you listen to them, your pain may not get you, but their bad advice will. Let's unearth those. There were three, three friends, three sources of wisdom, and here's what they are. Number one, bad advice for hard times is the name of the sermon. You must have done something to deserve this. You must have done something to, de- to deserve this. Eliphaz is the first to speak. Now, Job, though it's set in your Bible in the middle, occurred somewhere between creation and Abraham. So it's early. You've got to understand that Job just couldn't dial up 106.9. There, there wasn't a local tabernacle uh, that traveled around. Job didn't have at his access all of the benefits of national Israel. No. Job flew solo. He was on his own, his faith between him and God, and he was surrounded by ungodly wisdom. The first is Mesopotamian wisdom, and that's Eliphaz. Eliphaz says, God is just, God is pure, you're not, it's your fault. God is just, God is pure, you're not, it's your fault. Let me quote him, Job 4.17, can mortal man be in the right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? Well, yes, if God makes him so. Yes, if God justifies him, Eliphaz. Or 5.17, behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves, therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty. True. If you've done something to deserve his discipline. But Job hadn't. How do we know? This conversation that Eliphaz didn't hear between God and Satan and God's estimation of Job. You must have done something to deserve this. Do you know in a roundabout way, prosperity gospel is here? This is the negative of prosperity gospel. Do the right thing, get the right response. Do the wrong thing, get the wrong response. You cannot have one message without the other. For all who are buying into prosperity gospel today, 
the negative side of the message, which is never spoken, must be understood to correlate with the positive side. Number two, here is bad advice number two. If you knew the ways of God, you wouldn't question what has happened. Well, what is he appealing to there? We just studied this in my Old Testament. I told my students, several of whom are here today, this would, they could answer all this. And so this is Egyptian wisdom. Egyptian wisdom in, in the day focused on instruction. The more you know, the better off you'll be. Just no more, you'll be better. No more, you'll be better. And so, so this is Bildad. I, I call him babbling Bildad. Why? Because Bildad knows everything. You, you, you know some Bildads. Uh, wh- what do they know? Well, if you have a pain and you tell Bildad, Bildad will go, oh, yes, yes, yes. I remember my mother's uh, uh, sister's brother's niece had that same pain. It was cancer. And by the time you're finished with Bildad, you're dead. Like they've diagnosed you. You, you better get your will ready. Life is over, right? That's Bildad. Or, or sitting at South Carolina's game uh, yesterday, uh, there was a babbling Bildad behind us. Wendy leaned over to me and said, the man hasn't stopped. I said, I know. I know. At one point, she leaned over. Uh, I tune people out. My wife does not. I'm a screener. We've had this conversation. I'm a screener. She's a non-screener. So all of this babbling Bildad, bloat, I mean, just she can't handle it. She leaned over to me at one point and she said, I hope after the game he goes down to number 23 and tells him everything he needs to know because I've heard it the whole game. <laughs> I know, honey. I know. That's a babbling Bildad. They know how to invest your money. Uh, They know everything, right? That's a babbling Bildad. Here's what he says, verse 2 of chapter 8. How long will you say these things, talking to Job, and the words of your mouth to be a great wind? Do you know what he did? He looked at a man who lost his livelihood, lost his servants, lost his livestock, lost his children, his wife looked at him and said, curse God and die, and called him a windbag. That's a Babylon Bildad. If in the trial of your life, that person gets too much of your attention, you'll get mad at God. Same chapter, verse 8, for inquire, please, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. Do you know what that sentence means? Look at it on the screen. For inquire, please, of bygone ages and consider what the fathers have searched out. It means nothing. Look at it. What does that mean? Nothing. For inquire, please, of bygone ages. Well, okay. And consider what the fathers have searched out. Okay, these are helpless platitudes, babbling bildads. Three, bad advice for hard times. Well, it should be worse. It should be worse. Say, what do you mean? This is Zophar. 
Job 11, 6, he talks, Know then that God exacts of you less than your guilt deserves. <laughs> Job, uh, you, you've lost you know, your kids, everything you got, but pff, it ought to be worse. I'm sure you've done something bad. This never would have happened. Right? This, this is so far. So far, it, ju- it just should be worse. He appeals to Near Eastern wisdom, and Near Eastern wisdom was totally pessimistic, meaning all of life is awful. And since all of life is awful, why should you ever expect it to be good? Life is terrible. Bumper stickers abound today that I can't quote up here that speak to this philosophy. It goes all the way back to Near Eastern wisdom. All of life is terrible. If you've got a Zophar in your life, how do you know? Here's a Zophar. If you uh, call them up, your would-be friend, right? And uh, you happened uh, that day to, to wreck your car. Well, they've had a worse wreck. You've got these people in your life. You broke your arm. They broke their leg. Yes, yes. Uh, you, you, you lost a $100 bill. Well, you know, they lost their house. It's always worse. They trump everything you've done. It's always worse. Life is always terrible. It's always the most negative side you can have. It should be worse. That's what he says to, 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 to Job. You're, you're an awful person. Zophar didn't hear the conversation. But then... In the background, through 30 plus chapters, is a a young person. Please hear me. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're wise, it just means you're old. (laughs) Getting old doesn't automatically make you wise. Getting wise makes you wise. This is a young person. Elihu, and we need some Elihus. Elihu is overhearing the conversation between Job and these three friends, 18 of these, six rounds, three each. And here's what he says in chapter 32. He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. Wait, when did Job start doing that? Not when everything happened, when his friends pushed him into a corner. That's why bad advice can wreck your faith. Bad advice can change the direction of your life. That's why if you get counseling, your counselor better be a Christian. They have access deep into the recesses of your heart. That's why when you're making the biggest decisions in your life, let it be a godly, wise person on the other side of the table who's speaking truth Just because somebody has watched Dr. Phil for five years doesn't mean they're they're more than not qualified to, to address your issues. 
He burned with anger at Job because he justified himself rather than God. He burned with anger also at Job's three friends because they had found no answer, although they had declared Job to be in the wrong. Well, that's easy when you don't know. Just blame it on somebody. That's what they had done. Job had played into his friends thinking he had come out swinging and and in so doing was swinging at God. And Elihu continued and said, bear with me a little and I will show you for I have yet something to say on whose behalf. Who does it say, church? On whose behalf? This whole book has been screaming for somebody somewhere to speak on God's behalf. Right? The whole book, we've got 30 chapters. Have you ever read Job? It's exhausting. You just read and you're like, oh, oh. It's awful. You read and finally Elihu speaks and I want to go, yes, somebody finally speaking on God's behalf. He says, I will get my knowledge from where? Afar. Where's afar? Well, if you're McDowell County, we know what that means. (laughs) It's a fire, all right? We know that, but, right, there's a far, right? We know. We know what that is, but, but really, where is a far? A long ways away where God is. I'm going to get my knowledge not from Egypt, not from Mesopotamia, not from the Near East. I'll go to God. And do you know what he does? This is the most brilliant, I think, book other than Book of Romans in the whole Bible. He debunks Egyptian, Near Eastern, and Mesopotamian wisdom. They took 30 chapters. Right. He takes one. Here we go. How does he do it? Write these things down. Elihu speaking, Job 36, 5, Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. Job, you must have done something to deserve this. Elihu says, "Uh, uh, 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 Hold up, hold up, hold up. God is mighty and does not despise any. One of my Montreat students is sitting in this service. I won't say her name, but she'll know who I'm talking about. She came up to me after class Friday, and she said, I need to talk to you, Professor. I said, what's up? She said, I'm so nervous. It's just me. What is it? She said, well, two things happened to me, one in chapel at Montreat, one in worship at Grace. And since coming to Montreat as a freshman, I have trusted Christ as my Savior. And I was wondering, would you you baptize me? Well, yes. Yes. Is the Pope a Catholic? Of course. That's what we do. Yes. Yes. And so she said, didn't grow up much in church. My family lives in Florida. We're doing baptism next week. I'm calling them. I want them to come up and be here to see me 
profess my faith in Jesus Christ. Behold, God is mighty and does not despise any. Amen? Amen. Number two. Behold, God is exalted in his power. Verse 22 of 36. Who is a teacher like him? So in his first response, he debunks Mesopotamianism. In his second, Egyptian. Egyptians focused on instruction. There is a nuance here. If you miss it, this is one of those tiny little degrees. If you miss it, it'll throw you for the rest of your life. Don't miss it. Look at this. Behold, God is exalted in his power, whose teaching is like his. Is that what he says? No. That's what an Egyptian would say. Who is a teacher like him? You see, Egyptians were all concerned of knowing teaching. Elihu says, or asks, do you know the teacher? Can I say something to you this morning? It's so much more important to know the teacher than the teaching. As a matter of fact, if you know the teaching without knowing the teacher, you'll get puffed up and proud of your knowledge. But when you know the humble Jesus of Galilee and you know the one who didn't even have a place to lay his head down and then you hear his teaching oh my it'll change your life that's what Elihu says who is a teacher like him number three verse 26 one chapter behold God is great and we know him not what is Elihu saying There are some things you'll never know. You'll never know. That's a direct rebuke to a life is awful. Right? Because life is awful is the singular answer of most people in America today for the problems we face life is awful. No. God is good. And there are some things we'll just never know. Do you know what I'm learning? And I put that in an ING form. Is that week after week when I sit down with folks and they tell me what's hit them. I have learned and am learning that I don't have to know why. I don't. I will sit with people as I've sat with some of you and say, I don't know why. And I, hopefully in those moments, will try to speak up for God. Um... Layla Siegel, Layla spent her years teaching school, I've mentioned her before, only to come into retirement and to be diagnosed with ALS. And for whatever reason, it attacked her voice, her throat. She can no longer speak in a way that is very intelligible. She's hard to understand, but... She emails me 
about once a week. This is this week's email from Layla. I want to share with you. She has told me about treatment in last several hours when she gets it weekly. And she says this, the upbeat attitude comes. So many people are surprised at my upbeat attitude while having this horrible disease. Sometimes I even surprise myself. My mind at times will want to tell me, what have you got to smile about? Don't you realize that there is no cure? That means death. Or just think you will never see your grandkids grow up. And many more little things want to pop into my head to discourage or upset me. The upbeat attitude comes from knowing in my heart that God has a purpose in this. Sometimes I even surprise myself. He is using this in a special way to bring praise and glory to his name. He is using this to mold me and make me into the image of Christ. Does this mean that I embrace this? No, not embrace but not tolerate either. It means I joyfully want to do what pleases him. And if ALS is part of that assignment, I accept it. God chose to allow this to happen to me at this particular time in my life. Don't get me wrong. I certainly pray for healing. I would love to have my former voice back. In parentheses, I wished I had appreciated it more. But I trust him, knowing that he is faithful. He has proved it to me, or and or. Sounds like a hymn. Charles Stanley said, if you fully trust him, then you will stop asking him and start thanking him. Every day gives me the gift of his presence. I feel his closeness and am so awed by it and so thankful for it. As John Piper said, don't waste your cancer. I don't want to waste my ALS. Okay, I've rambled on and on. When I really only wanted to give you an update, the Lord is supplying all my needs through prayers from people like you and so many others. I am sorry that I am so lengthy, but remember I have a lot to say, but can't. So I end up writing it down. That is good because I want my grandchildren and great-grandchildren to know I was on the Lord's team. And I want my daughters to see how faithful and trustworthy God is when these difficult times come into their lives and how you can be joyful. And we say to Layla, amen. Well, God finally answers. He says three things. Big, long speech, powerful. You should read it. This week, in your life group, you will wrestle with this question. Why does God get the blame for bad things, but often gets no credit for the good? You'll wrestle with that in your group this week. Don't miss group. If you're not in a group, get in one. God answers his first words, I create. In other words, look what I've given you. Look what I've given you. His second words, I sustain. 
I don't start creation and step away. I'm intimately involved in everything I create. Number one, I create. Number two, I sustain. And then his final words, yes, in Job, I justify. It is I who justifies. The only way Job is righteous before me is because I made him righteous. But once I declared him to be righteous, he lived out of that righteousness a faithful life. I'm the one who justifies. Our team is going to come. We're going to sing a song, give you the opportunity, James, and Adrian and I will be here to pray with you. All of this brings up a poem to me that I discovered a few years ago that rings in my mind. I almost have it memorized. I should finish it off. It's by John Oxenham. And it goes like this. He, God, he writes in characters too grand for our short sight to understand. We catch but broken strokes and try to fathom all the mystery of withered hopes, of death, of life, the endless war, the useless strife. But there, with larger, clearer sight, we shall see this. His way was right. Amen? This way always is. Judith is going to lead us in a song, and this morning, if you've never trusted Christ to heal your broken soul, then this invitation is for you. But secondly, if you're here this morning and you're in the thick of your trial, we'd love to pray for you and with you. We would. We'd love for the burden you came in here with to be lighter. Let's stand and sing.